Welcome to this episode of Stereotypers. I'm Josh and I'm Lena and we are excited to take you with us on our journey of what inspiring leaders wish they knew before. Stereotypers. This basically means stereotypical mistakes. And yes, exactly. In this podcast we are speaking about mistakes and learnings that others already made for you and will make your life as a young professional so much easier. Don't forget to join our LinkedIn group called Stereotypers. You can find more insights from our episodes and become a part of our network. So let's buckle up and dive straight in with today's guest. Hello everyone. Our guest today is Danny the Potter. Danny the Potter is Dutch. No, no, no. He's Belgian. He has a rich experience of working in the commercial world. Danny joined L'Oréal, which in the backbone métier or principle of sales back when they still used to use letters to send their performance every day every month he is now the director of the software that manages these letters and he finds himself working with the it teams to deliver the solutions to the business it's a huge change to go from a small territory in belgium to entire europe systems and products for l'oréal this is a huge leap and danny has built this career on with his own hands the first time i got to work with danny is through this it world 2 years ago and he has been a strong mentor in my life thank you so much for taking this time today to speak with us danny my pleasure hi danny welcome and very glad to have you on board Um I would love to start with a kind of challenging question right away and ask you you've been in the same company now for 30 years does it ever get boring Uh first of all it does not get boring absolutely not because it's continuously changing if I would have done the same job for more than 30 years obviously that would be extremely boring but as my job changed so much over time and even in our company people in the same job the content of the job itself changes so continuously you never get bored it's more like you have a feeling that you are running a race Is it a good race or a bad race to be run? How challenging is this change? Well, every race has good and lesser good moments. It's about what you have as an overall idea on on what you're doing. And in my case, I definitely can say that it's a very good race. Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, Danny, we're going to jump straight into the meat and potatoes. Okay. What do you wish you knew before, Danny? Uh It first of all it's always so much easy afterwards to say what you should have done. And sometimes I honestly do believe it's very good you don't know what lies ahead and it's very good that you've done the part that you've done. Nevertheless as everybody I do ask myself that uh, the same question time and time again. And the very very first thing that I would have done differently should have started basically more or less at my childhood. I would have paid a lot more attention at learning languages because one of the things that I have learned is that languages is the key to everything. It depends a bit on what you want obviously but for me being in an international career uh, 47 countries uh, that we we cover within the zone so it's quite quite a lot uh, knowledge of languages and knowledge of local culture is extremely important so I would have paid a lot more attention on languages first of all 
Secondly, maybe would have been a bit lesser shy. Now this depends on where you start from, obviously. But my, uh, let's say my first 10-15 years in the company, I was rather shy. Uh, not so much confident in uh, my own abilities. And uh, it's probably a bit that's culture related. I'm a Belgian, I'm from Flanders, the north part of Belgium, where shyness is often seen as a virtue. It's a good thing to have. But in, in an international uh, environment, often you need to be a bit more outspoken and come up for, uh, come up for yourself. Uh, build relationships with people uh, and build relationships with people that matter, people that make a difference. It's also one of those learnings that I, uh, I, I got uh, over time. And uh, be curious and broaden your knowledge. That is also something that I should have done uh, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, give you one short example. I did my MBA at the age of 40. Uh, I should have done it more early. Not at 25. There is right timing for everything. Uh, but but uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe uh, broaden knowledge and have that wide scope. Uh, generalists have a big place in this world. You can be a specialist in your domain, but that does not mean anything if you don't know how the rest of the table looks uh, looks like. Follow. Hey, Danny, make, Danny yeah, you're, go, go you're, going a, you're, you're going a little fast for us because we are so interested <laughs> in, dwe in dwelling. No, it's, it's fine. We already know the four or five topics that you touched upon. Um, I want to dwell on the language thing because this is so close to my yeah, heart and maybe we, Lena will pick up on the shyness topic and then we go on the, okay. the, the ones that you share. So on the language one, this is so close to my heart. I've been interested in languages. I can preach about how valuable it is. But for once, I think I want to stop and I want to hear you say, um, in an, a European context, if someone joins a company today, a uh, global slash European context, English is quite sufficient. Even for French companies, English helps a lot. Most meetings are in English. My two internships, one of which was in ATOS Consulting in Paris, was in English. So it seems like English is good enough. What would be your uh, argument on, no, it's important to learn another language well? Well, uh, if, uh... Two points on that, maybe. First of all, yes, English is the main language, but it's not because you can say hi in English and you can order a beer in English that you do speak English. So it's also a bit the level, because often in, in the type of work that most of people are doing today, you get confronted with a lot of meetings. In those meetings, you need to convince people. You have arguments that you need to settle. And then the possibility to put the nuance in, uh, in so the, the, the detail, not to, not to say that it's hot, not to say that it's cold, but being able that, to say that it's 27 degrees and a half. You know, that, that requires a different skill of English, first of all. So that on your topic of English, yes, it is the main, but you see those who master the language best usually win the argument regardless whether they are right or wrong. So that's the first thing. Secondly, in my case, working at L'Oreal, <laughs> even though we are in an international, international environment, you do still notice the strong influence of French. If mm. I can't express myself in French, 
I will be the loser in the end, always. And then lastly, having some abilities of other languages next to that. Your native language, uh, which is Netherlands in, in my case, uh, German language, uh, I have some knowledge of Japanese. It allows you to, how to say, it allows you to perform better. Obviously, with a, with a, uh, a scope of 47 countries, yeah, it, we, we even can't start trying to understand all of them. But once you have that knowledge of two languages, learning the third goes so much more easily. Mm-hmm. Learning the fourth goes so much more easy. It's the first language after your native that's the hard nut to crack. But once you've cracked that nut, you have developed that kind of way how to learn languages, the ability to, to, to learn faster. Now, Danny, can I ask you on that? I mean, there's languages in a, let's say, country-specific way, but are there also languages in a corporations and departments department-specific way? Um, and with that, I mean, do you need to learn another language when you work in sales and Do you need to learn a different language when you work in marketing or yes. human resources, for example? It, it's And a very good point. What are the uh, languages that you master or you learned to master <laughs> over the time? Yeah. So the uh, I, I do love I do love your question, Lena, because there's something very interesting in it. So my knowledge of of English is better than my knowledge of French, for example. And most of my friends' uh, language knowledge, it's more functional knowledge. So I can explain you a lot of technical topics quite well in French. I can explain you a lot of business topics quite well in French. And then evening time, imagine your friends and we go to a cafe or we go to a restaurant and we have normal daily conversation, suddenly my uh, knowledge of the French language goes very much down because I don't have all those skills. And for example, the French, they, lose, they use a lot of abbreviations in their language. They have a kind of slang as most languages have. And that comes out in evening time. And there, for example, I see that my understanding of language then suddenly goes down quite well and can be a handicap. I wish it was better because it's usually in those moments of the day, during the coffee break, during the dinner, that you build the bridges with people. It's not in the meeting times. It's usually in those moments that you, for example, build the solutions. You mm-hmm. know, meetings are there to have the Absolutely. difference of opinion, to make your opinion clear. And it's the coffee time, the lunch time, the dinner time, where often you build the solutions and you come closer to each other. And then that, that let's say, that knowledge of the common daily used language, which is not related to your IT topic, which is not related to your business or marketing topics, becomes more important. So, so you pick up that what Lina was saying is the technical, the cultural language for sales, you picked it up very easily in French. Yeah. And the slang part, which you use in the evening, it took you a little longer. It still is a struggle today. <laughs> For at, least, saying... at least for French, eh? yes. Very interesting, uh, Danny. I mean, this is probably something you have to learn over time also to navigate yourself in the corporate world, right? To know which stakeholders um, to speak to in what manner and what vocabulary to use. 
Do you yes. have, and, and I can imagine, I mean, you, you're just coming out of a meeting. Can you think of one very concrete situation where right now you're in a meeting with person X, Y, Z and you're switching to a meeting with another person, maybe same topic, but you had to switch your perspective and your language like in the matter of a second. Can you think of a very concrete example of yeah. that? It's, it's, uh, it's something, first of all, you get used to. So a normal day for me has in between five and eight meetings in the day, different audiences, sometimes different languages. Uh, so you can imagine that sometimes it is it is a bit complicated and then the time in between meetings, often you also again have to switch language. The, the, the best advice I, I would give, what works for me at least, is when you conduct a meeting uh, or when you speak to a person in between meetings, start to think and put yourself in the shoes of the other person. Once you do that, you kind of automatically adapt how you approach. Mm -hmm. For example, if I want to speak to, to, uh, to my manager, yeah, I need to give him an introduction on the topic because my manager is lesser technical than me. I need to give him an introduction to the topic. I need to use a lot of examples and so on. Where uh, one hour before or half an hour before, I was with the technical team. The technical team, they want you to go straight to the point. They want you to use the correct technical terminology. But you see the person in front of you. So you know who's in front of mm -hmm, you. You, mm -hmm. you should just anticipate. What is it that this person needs to know? What is this person looking for instead of what is our natural re reaction and also uh, certainly mine is you always want to make your point and that is what we should refrain from it's not what I want to say it's how the other one will hear it what is needed for her or, uh, or for him Yeah, the languages I can uh, testify as well. As I told in the beginning, I, I've been preaching this over and over again. It gives me the sense of confidence. So it's so nice to hear it from you, Danny. With Danny, I speak sometimes in Dutch because I'm picking up Dutch. Uh, Danny, of course, is native Dutch. But we also have a lot of evenings when we are having a drink after work and we speak in French. And it's nice to have this exchange. How would you say this in Dutch? <laughs> Josh has been trying yeah, yeah. to teach me these two words ever since we met. I'm, I'm on it, okay. <laughs> And Joshua even says this with a Dutch accent from, from the Netherlands, where I would say, Goeiemorgen, with a Flemish accent from Belgium. <laughs> Interesting. Danny, I'm transitioning into the second thing you said about shyness. Uh, if you look at media and how they portray successful people, I'm talking about American TV, TV yeah. shows in lawyers and investment bankers and movies and so on. It's usually this person that comes in with a punch, meaning this person who is extremely strong uh, uh, with his words and he's very intimidating and, you know, not the very humble or shy person. Yes. But you, when you come, uh, looking at the numbers that you've used in our conversation so far, uh, my impression of you is you come off very humble, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of person you are when you're competing and working alongside someone for so many years and they have this other persona how do you deal with that or where do you how do you see this whole difference one person appears to be uh, in authority but yeah. not necessarily like how do you deal with this or it's it's been a learning curve first of all uh, now after 30 years looking back upon it 
I've seen a lot of people coming in our company, same position as me, who were, how to say, very vocal. They could make their point in 20 seconds, very strong, very convincing, but they're no longer in the company today. So what happened? Uh, my path was rather slow, especially in the beginning. The very, the very first 15 years at L'Oreal, I had a very slow career path. You build your competences. And um, at some point, people feel your competences. And at some point, even if your pitch is very strong, very professional and so on, but there is nothing beneath it. There is no fundament of knowledge. It's just speech. What you refer to American speakers and so often you find that with them. Well, these people, at some point, they fall through. So I, I do believe, and I agree with you, especially nowadays, where people do no longer take the time to really listen for several minutes to someone, it is important to try to have a good pitch. But only the pitch is never going to help you. It can help you for one month, for six months, for two years, but it doesn't build a career. What builds a career is knowledge that is behind these words. It's fundaments. You build fundaments. And then, um, then you will develop your pitch also over time. This is completely different from being humble or not being humble for me. Mm -hmm. So knowledge is supreme. It's not the eloquence. Uh, eloquence is nice to get a, a start in, but knowledge is supreme, not the yes. eloquence. That, that's insightful. And then you said, Danny, also, and this was your, your next point, building relationships. And I assume this comes also along with proving to people that you have the knowledge, right? It comes into trust. It comes into people having confidence in you. But then also building knowledge and building relationships is something that does take time and it's a mid to long term yeah. project. So what would you advise young people that just get started in the job world? How should they behave? Should they try to like on purpose stay under the radar for five years to build knowledge and then their relationships and then come on stage and say, here I am? Or what would the advice be to behave if you don't have neither the knowledge well, nor the relationships in the beginning? The business world has evolved over those last 30 years that, that mm -hmm. I can, can look upon the business world. So I would not really say stay under the radar for five years. It was 30 years ago. That was a good approach. Today, probably, that might be a lesser good approach. You don't need to stay under the radar. But to be humble, to respect people who are more mature in knowledge, and it's not related to age, but it's the time that you've been in the company, the time that you've been in that section, the time that you've been in that topic. There is a place for everybody in the organization. And you don't have to try to come in on day one and immediately make your strong mark. Usually that is perceived as rather negative, as rather being too aggressive, which mm -hmm. is not good. It's, uh, but you can make yourself being seen by asking the right questions, by acknowledging the other people in the meeting room to be superior to you, if you are a young, uh, a young person, coming in the company, but by asking the right questions to the people, you show interest in the topic, you show your intelligence, because that is a good question, people think. That is where you make the difference, without 
trying to achieve without trying to be that like alpha male or alpha female person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that basically that comes into my mind and that lines up all the things we've just been speaking about. So the language, the knowledge, but also speaking to different people is the personality model. There's this um, DISC model. It's basically four colors um, and it divides different personality types into different colors. Um, And You know, there's a lot of uh, long theory underneath this model, but basically what it says is that you need to speak to different colors and to different personalities in a different way to get your message across. Um, Mm. And there's a book, it's called Surrounded by Idiots. Um, I read it (laughs) when I was in my first corporate, you know, phase. And this this really like, this title expresses the problem that I think a lot of young people have in the beginning they feel like either they're very well understood or you are surrounded by idiots and this is not all and i don't mean this in a disrespectful way i will explain what i mean with this in a second but i think this counts for the professional world as much as it counts for the personal world that if you ever have this thought what does this person want from me what does this person want to tell me or if other people have this thought about you sometimes Basically, mm-hmm. it is probably not the problem, the, 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 the source of this is not that the, the other person is completely wrong or has no idea of what they are doing, but most times it's a communication and personality difference that exists. Yeah. And so in this example, I'll give you a very concrete situation. I learned that if you're a red person or if you're working with a red manager who are more extrovert, more direct, result-oriented, Never start a presentation with 10 minutes explaining how you got there. First, tell them what the result is. And then if they are interested, explain wow. them how you got there. And yeah. reading this book, Surrounded by Idiots, as harsh as it sounds, usually you're the idiot and not the others because you're not able to Indeed. understand them, right? And this was such a big learning. And I think this this ties up all the things you said, the personalities, the um, how do you speak to people, building knowledge, building relationships. Yeah. This was such a game changer for me to understand it. Well, uh, uh, first of all, reading books is a good thing to do. You do not have to accept everything that's in every book, obviously. But, you know, to... to, to um, to, to be interested and to try to pick up some things and from the different things that you read you make up your own mind mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. is always a good step to do and uh, in the comment that you gave you ju- you came back to something that we said more early and uh, that that I, I would like to elaborate with with an example mm-hmm. um, Joshua said that uh, Danny you you tend to be uh, rather let's say uh, modest as a person. I'm pretty convinced if we could take the three of us and go for, go uh, next the next minute to the to the Spain team the Spanish team where I'm working on a on a very very difficult project that we need to get live in a matter of months in a very short time they probably have a very different view on me. They probably think that I'm somebody who's really taking the lead, who's pushing them, who's forcing them because of the circumstances. So there is there is not one Danny, there is not one Lena, there is not one Joshua. There is the Lena when she is in situation A with person X. There is the Lena when she is in a different situation B with yes. another person so Y. True. And that so ability true is needed to get your result. 
by definition, I like to be a bit more what, what Joshua called humble. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's my personality style. But if needed for the action, because we need to, to realize this project in so short time, and you need to really go uh, straight to your goal, then I can be extremely assertive, maybe in the eyes of some people aggressive, because I need to reach that goal and they need to reach that goal. And it's, it's a very rare thing that I'm going to say right now. But, you know, sometimes a small dictatorship gets you to the results. It is not a preferred way. It's not what you should do by definition. But when needed, yes, there are moments that moments of crisis in a company, uh, moments of crisis in a family, that you need a strong leader, somebody who shows authority, because at that moment people are looking for the lady or the man that they feel this person is going to get us through. He or she is going to get the job done. And there are other moments that you need to step back, that you need a team to discuss that you need a team to come with a different solution so that they feel ownership. So hierarchy, right? Like I know my mom and dad are the owners, the sole owners of the family. So let's say we are going through a crisis in our family, then they are the ones who get to decide what's the, I can give my suggestion, but what they said is what will happen. That's what you mean, right? This uh, hierarchy uh, to set clear the hierarchy and who decides. Yes, yes and no. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. What I mean is, uh, for example, imagine your mother is always nice and humble and has a supportive role in the, in the family. But then a crisis happens. And maybe suddenly your mother becomes the leader and she takes the action and she takes the decision. It's more about that. It's more about being the right type of leader being the right type of person at the right moment there is not uh, there's there are many styles of leadership there is not one style of leadership that is the best style there is a style that is adapted to the situation so that's why it's when for lena just spoke about reading books it's it's very nice to read books for example about leadership but there is the leadership that we see uh, typically in american companies leadership mm -hmm. styles that say every year i fire 10% of my people every year i do this every year i do that and you know i think you know who i'm referring to maybe there are completely different uh, types of leadership style. For example, the founder of Sony, Akio Morita, uh, when he wanted to conquer the market, being a Japanese person, right after, a few years after the Second World War, struggling to, to, uh, to expand his, his Japanese products across, what did this person do? Being, being the head of Sony, which was a lot smaller company at that time, he just moved to the United States with his wife, went to live in the United States to understand the people there. So that's a completely different style of leadership. And like that, you have many. It depends on your industry. It depends on the challenges that you face. And at some point, a company attracts a very authoritarian, uh, aggressive leader, but at other moments, maybe it's time to say goodbye to this leader because that phase is over and to bring in a very different type uh, of leader. Right. Uh, Danny, I want to uh, shift gears a bit and 
spend a couple of seconds on this really big beast of a problem that many young people face, me included, um, is when you think about the long term, first you think about having a job that pays your rent. Yeah, if you don't have yes. that, you don't have anything, right? And once you get that and you have that for six months, eight months, 12 months, then you start thinking about the long term questions like purpose, what's my role in this? So to kind of put you on the spotlight and and hear from you on this, I want to ask you, what do you feel that in your experience you're getting from your job? What is it that is valuable that comes from your job? Because you have crossed that $50,000 mark, you need that much money to be happy. And after 50,000, there's this theory, after $50,000, you add 10,000, 20,000, it's not proportional increase in happiness. So you've crossed that mark. Now there are other things that will probably make you happy. So what's that fulfillment idea for you? What are you getting out of your job? Uh, pure on the job. Uh, what, what makes me happy is uh, getting the work done, obviously. Because if you don't reach your main targets, you will get so many pressure from all sides that you can't be happy. I speak about the professional part. Eh? We are now focused purely on the professional part. So then it doesn't work. Secondly, having great relationships with the people that you work with. It's not about, um, how to say, I can get my happiness from others. So, for example, if uh, a new person comes in the company and I can help this new person, and because of the help that I give, this person can rise in the company, I feel I'm rising with that person. Or if I can recommend a person to the company and that person does good, it makes me so happy and also I believe it makes my position in the company mm. so much more better. There are types of managers who don't want their team to be as good as them. There are types of managers who want their team to be better as them. If you can raise a person in your team to your level or above your level because this person has the right competences they just need some coaching some training avoid mm -hmm. uh, some good examples to avoid the pitfalls and that person can become you know higher ranking than you it's the most beautiful thing in the <laughs> world but it's it's how you look upon on, on things basically are you the person that at all costs want to score herself or himself are you that type of person or are you the person that can get their happiness out of you know out of the success of of, of others so as, as you said coming back to the question obviously the very first thing that you need is a salary it's a salary that pays the bills and yes. if you get a bit more salary, you can do more nicer things. You can go to a more nicer restaurant. But at the end of the day, you can only eat one steak. Yeah? <laughs> so then being able to share your happiness with others professionally and also privately, but that was not the question, but to be able to share, that's then a new level of fulfillment of happiness of being proud of the person who you are and at the end of the day i think that's a bit what we all want to be proud of who we are that is so well said and thank you for diving into the details you know danny if you let me i want to speak about each of these topics for another five ten minutes but in the interest of time i'm going to machine gun you because there are so <laughs> okay, many things i want to ask that's fine so many things well. i want to ask you yeah so uh, i i know that this has happened to me and I've not handled it very well. 
but I'm sure it in your 30 years it has happened to you way many more times and this is really difficult when it comes to uh, yeah even my kind of de- demeanor at work is more unless I know for sure I won't speak when I know for sure I won't take no for an answer kind of a guy so in this setup if someone steals my work I kind of get back foot especially if the hierarchy is flipped and this person at first did not sponsor my idea and then stole my work yeah How- I'm sure it's happened to you, so I'm not going to ask you. Yes. How how do you deal with this? Uh, first of all, I do feel honestly extremely difficult about it. It has happened to me. I can give you examples. I'm not going to do that. It's not in the interest of this broadcast. Uh, but it has happened to me. And I honestly feel difficult about it. Especially if it's somebody higher up in your hierarchy who... It's okay to score with the work of others. It's absolutely okay. But you always need to tell where you got it from. You know, if if, if I can say, uh, I'm going to present you this, uh, and this I could do thanks to Lina or thanks to Joshua, you give the credit to the people who deserve the credit. When it is not done, and it's been happened to me, honestly, it's extremely difficult. What is then the way how to deal with it? And, and, and to be very fair, even today, I'm still struggling with it. You know, uh, I, there's nobody who has all the solutions, certainly not me. But, but one of the things to do then is you're frustrated. Talk to somebody you trust. Because that person will try to put things again a bit in the middle, where yourself look upon it from one extreme. That's one thing to do. If you want to report it, you write your email, you put all your anger in it, but there's one thing you don't do. You never press the send button. You never send it. But you do write it. You do write that email. And the next day, not one hour later, but the next day you reopen that email, and you're going to edit the mail because you're going to see, you're going to be confronted yourself how aggressive you were, how frustrated you were. And frustration is not a good guide. You're going to rewrite that email. You're going to address it a lot better. And because it's not about releasing, it's not about releasing your frustration. It's about making your point. That is the end game. That is your goal. Your goal is not to show how angry you are. Your goal is to have a change, to get that acknowledgement, for example. So next day, you rewrite, you've written your, uh, uh, your, you have rewritten, sorry, your email. And before sending it, share it again with a person of trust. A person who knows the other party, a person who knows how to read this email, and let that person then comment again on your mail, or let that person coach you on the conversation that you want to have with, with your manager or with the person involved in, in this argument, and listen to what they say, and take it on board, write it down, uh, and have that piece of paper, even if it's just in your pocket, you know it's there, and you're gonna ha- you you're gonna have either a completely different conversation, or you will write again a very different email, because at the end of the day, it's um, 
it's not about uh, letting go of your frustration. That's one part. That's what I've done la yesterday when I did write that email. But it's, it's about getting to your goal. Somebody once said to me, a professor in, in my MBA, she said, there's only one boy who can take the most gorgeous lady home in the evening at the party. Make sure you're that boy. Same for ladies, you just uh, re reverse the wording a little. And that is not, and that is about how do you deal with the situation? How do you make sure you get the lady or you get that boy that you want to bring home? You, you are the person that, that brings him home. And that's by not so much looking at things from your point, but it comes back again at looking things from that person's point. And that's how you achieve your goal. Be more focused on the person, lesser on what you want to do, lesser on yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, Danny, I have this principle um, that I try to hold for myself and I'd like to hear if you would confirm it or say it's maybe even naive. So I, I have this deep belief that, you know, in the long run, everything will, you know, even out sometimes. And I do believe that good leaders will be surrounded by smart people and bad leaders or people who steal your work in the long run, they will also be surrounded by the people who maybe they don't want to be surrounded by or, or that's, you know, that I get it. Uh, what, I, what I'm trying to say with this is that I don't want to call it karma, but I want to call it that having faith in the long run to, to stick with your principles, to not steal people's work, to, you know, communicate in a transparent and in a fair way and, from a you know co-worker point of view but also from a leadership point of view i'm trying to as a young professional follow leaders in which i have the feeling that they have this fair understanding of work that wouldn't steal the work i mean i don't need credit every time but it's a whole nother thing if you on purpose not mention that someone supported if they had a huge part mm. in it so and i have this this belief that just on the long run i think you know, the right people will s surround themselves with the right people and, you know, karma is going to play out. Would you confirm this or do you think it's rather naive? Partially, yes. Uh, you Basically, you are right, but sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. What I mean is you don't choose your leader. Your leader chooses you, usually. Yeah. So, so... Yeah, you have you have a say in it. I I, I see you nodding. Uh, <laughs> you have a say in it, but sometimes you don't know your leader before you yes. get to work True. with him or with her. Um, bad leaders try to surround themselves with people that can help them, just as good leaders try to surround themselves with people that can help them, and especially bad leaders need a good team. Mm -hmm. A good leader can make a good team. A bad leader needs a good team. But, and here I completely join your point, if you are, let's say, you, you, you're a, a, a good team member, but your leader is not good, you probably won't stay with that person. So bad team leaders, they lose the good team members. The strong team members, because they will be wanted by other team leaders, you will get opportunities to move and so on. 
where the weak team members, nobody is looking for, nobody is interested in, they get stuck mm-hmm. with them. Good team leaders, they also have these stronger and weaker persons in their team. They support the strong people, but they raise the weaker people to become better and to become good team members. And then it is not an issue that that very, very good team member that Lena is, that she can get promoted and finally she leaves the team. That's perfectly okay. You rather have for five years somebody very good in your team than for 20 years somebody bad in your team. And that's the option, basically. Either you raise them with the risk that you lose them, but that's perfectly fine because you can raise others. Then try to keep them down and you stay stuck with them. No, this is so, I could not have said this better myself, Randy. You're so spot on. Some of my internships that I did in India come to mind. Uh, humiliating people and mistreating people will never get you through in the long run because the capable uh, people don't want to work under a leader who is stealing your work and who is humiliating you. So then they would go to work somewhere where they are respected and their voice is heard and their expertise actually shines. So you're you're really yes. spot on. I, yes. I I did not put that in a sentence ever before, but after you say it, it it you're right. It it has happened to this has happened to me before. And for you to know, the biggest cost in a company, it's the cost of staff. It's the people. There's nothing that costs as much as the people, the goods, the ingredients, whatever. It depends a bit on the industry you're in. They cost only a fraction usually of what the people cost. So this is your most expensive asset. So as a manager, you have a huge responsibility because you're managing the most expensive thing of your company being a number of people. So that also creates an enormous responsibility. Nowadays, we talk a lot about corporate responsibility, ethical behaviors of a company and so on. But actually, what is that, uh, the ethical behavior of a company? What is that, the, the corporate responsibility of a company? It's actually what each of the people in that company do. So it starts with the, it starts with every individual, whether he is a team member or a team leader. It's up to us. Yeah, Danny, we also have a couple of four or five more questions that we'd love to ask you. And I look at the clock and we are getting at the end of our slot. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. We wanted to, you know, um, ask a couple of things on inter- interviewing. We wanted to ask a couple of stuff on if things went terribly wrong, apart from what we just discussed that you'd like to share on how how to handle those things, because I have benefited from this mentorship personally. So I know that your advice works. Uh, you've been instrumental in teaching me to let go of my private battles, um, <laughs> personal battles, and actually think about. So the couple of things that have come out of this interview have already helped me in this in the past. Thank you so much for taking the time with us, Danny. And we probably will come back to you at a later point to ask ask you to because there's so much to uncover over here. But thank you so most, much for this. Most happy to to come back and thank you for being invited to honor us all. Mine, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Danny. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Stereotypos is so much more than just a podcast, so don't forget to join our LinkedIn group 
called Stereotypos, where you can find even more content, network with our speakers and other inspirational career starters. You'll also find the video versions of our podcast on YouTube. All links in the description. Stay tuned for the next episode and see you around.